0: Artificial intelligence is at the center of so many technology discussions today, but perhaps nowhere are the implications more meaningful than in the
1: world of healthcare. It won't be the same way that we practice medicine. That's really the promise of artificial intelligence. That's the promise of a lot of the digital technologies that are being deployed today.
2: The opportunity is really putting the human back in healthcare. I'm extremely optimistic.
3: There's a lot of opportunity for AI. It is going to be a new frontier. New opportunities will be created
0: as more data becomes available.
3: It's gonna be interesting to see where the AI community takes that. They haven't always had access to the volume of data that I think they're likely to have access to. And certainly I think within five years, we're gonna start to see the outcome of that.
1: But with these opportunities comes risk as well. Now we're talking about the Wild West in terms of how data can be used and moved around. So we have to really start thinking proactively about how do we put those safeguards in without being too restrictive.
2: If we only focus on the business practice of this AI enablement and operational efficiencies, we have the ability to misuse AI to do bad things faster and at scale.
0: That is not in your pitch deck, no, I assume. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to season four of GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast. I'm GeekWire editor Todd Bishop. Our topic on this season premiere Dr. Bot, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Healthcare. Stay with us for an inside look at one of the most interesting frontiers for AI and humanity. GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast is sponsored by Primera Blue Cross. Providing comprehensive health benefits and tailored services to approximately two million people, from individuals to Fortune 100 companies. Learn more about how Primera is innovating in healthcare at primera.com/innovation. We recorded this episode on location at the recent Dot Blue Conference in Seattle. This is a gathering of digital leaders from Blue Cross and Blue Shield plans from across the country. The event was hosted by Primera Blue Cross the sponsors of GeekWire Health Tech Podcast Season 4. And our guests were Linda Hand, CEO of Cardinal Analytics, Colt Courtright, who leads corporate data and analytics at Primera Blue Cross, and Dr. David Rue, Microsoft's chief medical officer and vice president of healthcare. We'll share more about each of them as we go. We started with a reality check on recent headlines about AI in healthcare. There is a sense in the popular media that... AI is already here in terms of healthcare, And we really can read the headlines and see this. And I want to read you just, just a few headlines here. First off, AI shows promise in assisting physicians. That's the New York Times. AI can help doctors better detect heart attacks. That's Forbes. AI can diagnose childhood illness better than some doctors. That's the new scientist and Amazon warehouses stocked with 20,000 doctors in preparation for healthcare launch that's the onion <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness if you read the popular press you get the sense that ai is already here impacting healthcare and yet when i came here tonight my maps app could not tell me which hyatt i was going to so it it, it feels like some of this is overly optimistic but is it really First to answer that question is Linda Hand, the CEO of Cardinal Analytics, a venture-backed company that uses predictive technology to identify people at high risk of declining health and match them with interventions with the goal of better health outcomes and lower overall healthcare costs. Linda, what is the reality right now? How is AI impacting healthcare today?
2: When I look at AI in healthcare, I see most examples in either the science of healthcare or in the practice of healthcare. I, I feel like it's an emerging business for us to expand that to the insurer side of the house. Um, I think that where we are in terms of hands-down understanding that there are cases, there's, there's technologies that do better than humans, like we've done head-to-heads. For Cardinal Analytics, we've done, you know, head-to-head in terms of total risk scoring. Machine learning can find patterns that a human cannot. Right? It's not prescribed in terms of what the outcome is that you're looking for. And so that's a very powerful thing. And that's where, in cases, it can be better than a doctor. Um, we are innovating in terms of how you think about you know, not just the rising risk, how much and when, but also why. And as we've done that innovation inside, we've also had to validate that it is better than a clinician. Mm-hmm. And you can prove that, right? I think the application of it still has a long way to go. You know, the idea that in, by 2021, we're at 6.6 billion in AI and healthcare market opportunity, we're, we're far from that. And rolling out those applications, getting broad use of them, having trust I think has a long way to go.
0: So it sounds like a lot of it is still in the lab versus in the clinic or in the hospital.
2: I think they're at varying stages depending on whether you're talking science, practice, and business.
0: Next is Colt Cortright, who leads corporate data and analytics at Primera Blue Cross. He's responsible for strategies that impact Primera's 2.1 million members and 38,000 physician network, as well as self-insured employers such as Amazon, Microsoft, Starbucks, Expedia, and Warehouse.
3: I see a difference between uh, possible and adoptable. So, you know, the healthcare industry is, is large, right? It's $3.5 trillion a year in annual spend. It's 18% of GDP. It's expected to support 300 million plus uh, Americans. And, and so while some of these technological achievements are possible, you can prove out that diagnostics are, in fact, more accurate in some cases using machine learning versus a human being. I think it's more likely to think about it as an aid to clinical care, right? So in my mind, uh, AI today and, and over the next couple of years is going to be more like the technology of yesterday. Think of it like a a stethoscope, right? A stethoscope magnifies the hearing of the human doctor. It enables them to diagnose more effectively. And I think the the AI applications that I see being adopted near term really have to do with being able to discern patterns in data, patterns in past histories that a, a human doctor could, if given enough time, uh, discern on their own. However, we all know how busy doctors are when we go into their office. And, and so, again, I think it's much more likely that while these things are possible near term, it's going to be an aid to a human being. The human being is going to make the call, and we will see where it evolves from there.
0: And Dr. David Rue is Microsoft's chief medical officer and vice president of healthcare. He joined the company just recently in August 2019 from Samsung, where he was chief medical officer and vice president for enterprise healthcare. Dave is also an adjunct professor at the Stanford University School of Medicine, and he's a medical doctor and a computer scientist.
1: I have an understanding, at least a basic understanding of how some of these programs are written and some of the technologies that support it. And the underlying reason why AI works is because the data inputs to it allow us to be able to then draw some insights from them and their algorithms are built off of that. Uh, Where we're seeing the trends today are around the ability for us to start pulling in data that are cleaner, that allow us to be able to have it more interoperable, that allow us to be able to then combine data sets that we couldn't look at before. So when you look at the opportunity to do some of the things that we haven't been able to do in the past, we've been limited in the fact that we we had very dirty data sets that didn't allow us to be able to really understand beyond what was the scope of what was currently available. Now we have an ability to have much cleaner data sets combined with others real time. And and that's a really exciting opportunity because now we can think about how can we combine claims data with electronic health record data, with lifestyle data, with social determinants of health, and try to understand how it matches to an individual from their genomics and other types of personalizations. Mm -hmm. And that's where the real opportunity lies. So while I definitely agree that we haven't seen some of the things today that we would love to see, we're seeing some amazing things that are happening in the area of data interoperability and also in the fact that we're starting to formulate some of the ideas of how these data sets would be used.
0: Linda, I know that in your company, one of the ideas is to take that data and then make predictions from it. Where are you right now? Are there examples you can cite of cases where you've spotted things that, as you said, doctors might not have seen uh, purely from the data?
2: Yes. In fact, I think that's the core of the initial initial genesis of the company was around this idea that 6% of today's population will account for a third or more of new high costs next year. And that's a moving cohort. So it's 60% of your high cost in any given year, but they're different people. And the insights, the ability to take data and leverage that to move from a reactive care model, reactive intervention to a proactive intervention is the promise of that because the predictions are up to 12 months in advance. And so being able to understand that someone will rise in cost eight months out is a very different opportunity for a conversation than, hey, I see you're in the hospital, right? And, and that I think that idea of shifting, like I'm seeing more and more customers as we speak with them, understanding that to really get in front of and bend the cost curve, you have to be proactive, right? You can bring down costs somewhat, but to really change the game. And so that's where predictive capabilities is a fundamental sort of game changer in that. So, you know, the a couple of cases, one of the customers we were just at Um, You know, their care management team was there. They've made the shift to a proactive stance, but their rules-based system isn't getting them enough time. They don't have the lead time. And so, you know, we we had done a, a trial, and we brought up one of their folks with the action plan and the predictions and whether or not they were engageable or whatever, and the care manager looked through all the data and said, we would have never seen that. Like we would have never identified this person as someone. But when I look at that, I totally get why. They're sick, but they're not sick enough to be on our radar. And they're going to rise in cost like eightfold, at least on average. That's a really important person for us to spend our time on.
0: If I'm that person's doctor or healthcare provider, I'm very happy. If I'm that person, I'm not happy at all with you. <laughs> Have you ever gotten into situations where the people say, wow, that's just not me. I, I don't see it. The computer's wrong, because I think that portends what could be coming down the road as AI starts to make more yeah. and more predictions?
2: I, I think somebody called it creepy this morning. I, it would be really creepy to have some, your health plan especially call you and say, you're on a list, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, that's not the conversation. So we basically have to train care management to have a different conversation, which is, I see this is going on. Like, you know, there's a few indicators. There's drivers in that prediction. And what's happening with your health? Tell me about this. Tell me about that. So it's not, how do I get you out of the hospital faster to save money? It's having a conversation, which is more like a health coach sort of conversation. And what we're finding is these people really want to engage. Everybody says people don't change their behavior. But what we're finding is that's a moment where their health... Their illnesses are salient enough to them, their health is an important thing to them, but they're not in trouble yet. So they're actually interested in changing their behavior. We've had smoke you know, smoking cessation, change their pain pain management, you know, just a lot of behavioral changes that have happened through those conversations with care management.
1: Sometimes what happens when technology moves so fast that we sometimes forget that the people that it's impacting, the consumers, the patients, need to understand. Uh, a bit about how it's being done and how it's being used. And that level of transparency is very important because it gives people confidence that the purposes of doing all this, of capturing it, is to benefit your health and to really allow you to be able to make the decisions. And sometimes we don't realize the uh, that we, we maybe forget that and forget to check that box. And then you run into scenarios where people say, so this has been listening all the time or you're capturing this about me and, and that's where we really have to as an industry start embracing a set of guidelines or standards and policies that will allow us to be able to build the technologies in a responsible way. And, and those are the types of things that Microsoft that I've, I've really been impressed with because uh, there's a position around uh, a, a status of corporate responsibility that we need to take uh, and we are taking and others are as well around the fact that we're building new things that will be used by end users, and they have to understand the purpose of this is to benefit their health.
0: Now, Colt, we should say that you're on Linda's advisory board at Cardinal Analytics, and Primera is literally invested in this concept. It's one of the, the investors in Cardinal Analytics.
3: It, it is, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a profoundly transformational concept to think about how you can align incentives between our members, the patient, and those holding financial risk. Human beings obviously don't want uh, manifestation of disease, and, and that has financial implications. So we're all aligned in trying to find new ways to avoid medical events that are unnecessary and hopefully preventable. It's also a um, kind of a new frontier to think about not only being able to predict far ahead of time those individuals that will have rapid escalations of. Disease and, and cost, but to look across populations and be able to apply machine learning to better understand the risk. And the reason that's important is pricing risk leads to premiums, and everybody has to pay some part of this cost. And the more accurately we're able to discern future cost trajectories, the more accurately we're going to be able to set premiums that ideally will help to mitigate some of the cost trends that have been happening over time.
0: So does that mean that AI could result in lower healthcare costs out-of-pocket to the system? Is, is there that potential?
3: I don't necessarily want to point us in that direction because costs are impacted by a great number of things. New drug discoveries, new medical treatments, there's, there's very legitimate reasons for costs to go up. However, the pricing of risk, the setting of premiums, is set with the level of information we know today. And we know that machine learning creates a greater predictive accuracy in understanding future financial risk. And so what I mean by that is we can more accurately set the premium to the healthcare risk across a population. Doesn't necessarily mean costs are going to go down because of the great new treatments and therapies that are coming on the market.
2: Mm -hmm. Narrow the band of uncertainty.
3: You got
1: it. One of the things that we do know, and we've seen this already with some of the analytics and AI that's out there today, is that we can, using even limited data sets, be able to identify and, and benchmark individuals and look for changes over time. And when you see those changes, those can reflect at a very high level of prediction an individual's risk for a readmission or admission to the hospital or some kind of an adverse event. So by intervening earlier, we may be able to not only prevent those at safety and healthcare events, but that ties in with a cost. We're also seeing it on the life sciences side where AI is being used for drug discovery and it's expediting that process. So what is the biggest cost in terms of the manufacturing of the drugs? It's it's the whole process of figuring out what the drugs are. And if you can expedite that, then you have now taken a big cost out of that process. So there's great opportunity for us to be able to figure out how AI will translate to lower cost. We just have to validate this on a larger scale. And once we're able to do that, then that will hopefully translate to lower costs across the board. So that's the current state of AI and health. But
0: where is this headed? That's coming up next on the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast, Season 4 Premiere. We'll be right back. This season of the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast is presented by Primera Blue Cross. At Primera, we talk about what we do all day we offer access to healthcare. The card in the pocket allows people to go get access to healthcare. Dr. John Espinola is Executive Vice President of Healthcare Services for Primera
3: Blue Cross. The challenge we have is that we know that the healthcare that they get access to doesn't work as well as it could. So we have a duty at Primera to make healthcare work better. That's our job. We give people access to healthcare, yet we give them access to something that's subpar. We have a moral and fiduciary obligation to do better. We're going to do it in partnership with those who may touch the moment of care, providers, innovators, entrepreneurs, all of these are going to help us move in the direction we need to to make healthcare work better. We're bold enough to take the risk to try to do something that'll make a difference and learn from
0: it and be better along the way. To find out more, visit primera.com/innovation. We are on location at the Dot Blue Conference in Seattle. Our hosts here are Primera Blue Cross, sponsors of season four of the GeekWire Tech podcast. Our guests are Linda Hand, CEO of Cardinal Analytics, Colt Courtright of Primera Blue Cross, and Dr. David Rue of Microsoft. So we've gotten a good sense for where we are. Where is this headed? I'm not only interested, though, in the technology, but in the patient experience, because I've had family members recently spend some time in the hospital and one of the most reassuring things to me was when there was a an RN who was assigned to that room who was able to come in and put our mind at ease and that is possibly one of the greatest things that can happen when you have a loved one in the hospital can robots come in and do that? Is that what we're talking about? I realize that's a bit of a caricature of a question, but I wanna get a sense for how far this could go. Where do you see AI automation headed in the next three to five years? Colt?
3: I'm gonna take the analogy out of the inpatient environment and, um, and out really into uh, ambulatory practice. And I'm gonna be a little more mundane um, we, we, we talked about some exciting topics uh, previously. The things that, that I think about have to do with the experience that the average patient has today. So when you go to an exam room, what's your typical view? It's the back of your physician's head, okay? It's, it's because they are looking at their keyboard as much as they're looking at you. And they're doing that because of the administrative burden and the documentation requirements of medical care today. And the the aggregation of that is such that doctors, clinically trained professionals, are only able to spend half of their time delivering medical care. And so when I think about the, the possibilities of AI over the next three to five years, I think about the opportunity to automate the basic tasks that are taking away the physicians attention when they deliver medical care over a slightly longer period I think of it as being important for something that we don't yet see today. We're expecting a shortage of a hundred thousand physicians within ten years and that's going to happen at the same time the baby boomers are retiring and the demands increase so when we start talking about, you know the cost of healthcare. We all know what happens when supply and demand is imbalanced. Uh, we are going to have more demand than supply. The obvious focal point is how do we expand the capacity of our healthcare delivery system to lift what is today uh, a 50 percent constraint on a physician or nurse's time, and and can we change that to be 60, 70, 80 percent? And what kind of profound implications will that have? Not only in the macro sense, but the experience each of us have when we go to the doctor. So things like conversational UI, ambient monitoring. So the use of video that obscures the human body that can track the activity in the exam room and automatically record it. The ability to use natural language processing or NLU uh, understanding uh, of the conversation that's happening in the exam room. And again, record that so that the physician's attention can come back to the patient more
0: than half the time. That's not boring at all, Colt. I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, that is the kind of interaction that really changes the experience, and frankly, can lead to a better outcome if it leads to an observation or a reassurance or something that sets the person in the room on a better path.
1: Yeah, I think in addition to that, and first of all, I agree with uh, the assessment that today, big opportunities to improve the clinical experience for providers, the experience for patients uh, in terms of navigating the health system. And, and we have a lot of tools that we have today, You know, virtual assistants, bots that can be used. This is just the starting point, you know, being able to capture that information and, and transcribe and put into an electronic health record mm-hmm. in a format. Once you have that, then you have an ability to start thinking about how you can embed clinical decision support and other types of tools that can really provide a, a difference. So one of the challenges that clinicians have is that there's just so much information out there. And even though you may know from a particular visit an idea of what this individual is going through and you prescribe a certain treatment, you may not have thought of maybe a certain key question to ask because you didn't realize that they had recently gone on travel. Or perhaps you didn't understand that they had a family history of something that this could actually be a manifestation of. And the medical record has a lot of that already there if you had an ability then to have something oversee and look into this and provide a a recommendation, whether it's through the electronic health record, whether it's through one of these virtual assistants, now you've actually added value on top of making things more efficient. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a really exciting roadmap for us to think about because now we can not only make care more efficient, but we can make it better.
2: Yeah, I think think the opportunity is really putting the human back in healthcare. Mm And they've, the two gentlemen here have made a strong case for that, providing insights that one can't see, even if they had enough time, putting it in front of them so that they can be very efficient in that interchange with a patient, with a member, you know, wherever that engagement is, I think, is a huge opportunity. I think also what I'm seeing from one of our founders runs the Clinical Excellence Research Center at Stanford. And a lot of the AI AI that they've been doing is around clinical practice. And so safety and quality and compliance, there's a lot of opportunities there, which You know, just have they washed their hands before they went in the room, which, you know, increases quality and is a great reminder and AI can help you with that with sensors and whatnot. Has the nurse come in and rolled the person in the bed? Have they gotten up and walked? Like whatever the care program is, relieving people so that there's alerts and it's not really about you going in and checking it. Um, I do, um, uh, I joined the Alliance of CEOs, and there's a CEO of a company that does robotics. So, when you talk about robotics, and one of his sort of target customer segments is hospitals, because there's a huge financial win for having this robot deliver medicine to the room. Mm-hmm. Safely, securely, right? So you can lock it in and tell it how to go, and waiting for elevators and all of that saves an enormous amount of time and a burden from somebody having to leave the floor, not dealing with patients because they're trying to go down to the pharmacy, get the drug, and get it to somebody. So it's things like that that just relieving all of this extraneous stuff so that you can focus on humans in healthcare.
1: I think one other thing to keep in mind is we're talking a lot about what happens in a hospital and in a clinic. But much of healthcare care is actually moving outside. It's moving to the home. It's moving yeah. to retail clinics. And so the user experience will be very different in those scenarios. In many cases, they will not have a doctor, a nurse, a clinical person to be able to help oversee the care, which means that the technology, the AI, is going to be even more important because it's going to allow individuals to feel confident that they can actually manage their care outside of the care of what we traditionally view as um, a hospital or clinic. And and that is going to be, I think, one of the critical linchpins for how we see virtual care move forward. Because we know that we can do virtual care through technologies, but in many cases, it always is tied back to the clinician on the other end of the line or the video. But once we get the ability where the, the individuals feel confident that they're managing according to a certain set of care guidelines and protocols that are consistent with one's care, but then alerting one when things are not going well so that one can come in and intervene and just check to make sure that things are all right, then we'll have an opportunity to really expand our reach and we'll be able to then go beyond the one physician and 20 patients per day.
3: So I think um, there's also an exciting and little nerve wracking uncertainty uh, over the next three to five years and that is um, that uh, there's increasing attention on freeing up data within health care, in fact, mandating it uh, as part of administrative rules within CMS, right, the governing body for all federally uh, funded programs. So things like Medicare and Medicaid and, and uh, Obamacare. And it's likely to permeate into general commercial insured populations. And that work is insisting, requiring... The organizations, from providers to payers free up data in a new way and to empower the healthcare consumer by being able to deliver that on their own mobile device and they are opening the door to new application developers application meaning both quantitative and software and and I think it 's going to be Interesting to see where the AI community takes that, right? They haven't always had access to the volume of data that I think they're likely to have access to. And certainly, I think within five years, we're going to start to see the outcome of that.
0: This raises the the big question that comes up in AI, which is what happens to privacy? What kinds of controls would you expect or would you want as a group of people who are, are looking at this? What should happen in terms of privacy and what kinds of Protections could the average person expect as they engage with the healthcare system?
1: This is why it's very important to be proactive on this because what happens uh, once the information moves outside of the medical record into the individual's phone, it's no longer under the context or umbrella of HIPAA. It's they can do what they want with that. So now we're talking about the wild west in terms of how data can be used and moved around so we have to really start thinking proactively about how do we put those safeguards in uh without being too restrictive at the same point um so now is the time to start thinking about it now is the time for organizations to start uh aligning around these type of uh thoughts and and ultimately we will be able to create an exciting path forward but you know if we just do it with the mind of just trying to create great technology without thinking about the the unintended consequences, we'll run into scenarios where people will say, hey, we have to shut this whole thing down because this isn't working. And so we don't want that to happen because we know there's great promise and great opportunity, uh, but we just need to be responsible.
2: I think we have a really inconvenient relationship with privacy. Um, Everybody wants to keep their stuff private but everybody wants the benefit of having the insights from using everybody else's data. And there's just a huge disconnect there. So even, I, I think it's a very interesting disconnect because being proactive, there's still that problem to overcome, you know, individually.
3: So I think we are in a, an inflection point where we are being forced to grapple with these kinds of considerations. and. The, the privacy access security standards that have governed uh, what I would call the traditional actors in health care, the health plans and the providers, will remain the same. The shift is really to say the member owns their medical record, and the member should be able to control that and, and use it, place it where they would like it. It does have this effect that David was describing of bypassing HIPAA, the standards that we all adhere to. And so the stewardship model is, is going to change, I mean, by all apparently visible uh, actions at the moment. And it's going to place greater power in the hands of the patient member. But it does come with that cost. Does the, does the member understand um, when they asked to have their own data downloaded and made accessible to applications and application developers that it may not be handled in the same way. And so there is an educational, uh, a stewardship component that a number of us are grappling with. I know health plans across the country have similar concerns. you heard David describe it. It is going to be a new frontier.
0: Big picture, as you think about AI and healthcare, are you more optimistic or concerned, optimistic about the potential benefits, concerned about the potential pitfalls as this kind of technology rolls out
1: in the years ahead? Well, I'm definitely optimistic. I've seen technology being rolled out, and I know that the opportunity to transform the experience, and we're just talking about just general consumer technologies, internet, phone, You know, the ability for us to be able to better communicate and and, and clearly there have been some bumps along the road, but all in all, it's made our lives better and easier. And that's really the promise of uh, artificial intelligence. That's the promise of a lot of the digital technologies that are being deployed today. What will happen is uh, we will see changes in the way that people use these tools. It won't be the same way that we practice medicine. There'll probably be new specialties focused just on Digital tools with AI, individuals focusing more on populations rather than just on individuals themselves or patients themselves. So we will see changes, and it may require that some individuals have to maybe sort of rethink what they used to do. But that comes along with the great benefits to the patients and the populations, the reduced costs, and the improved quality.
2: I'm extremely optimistic. That's why I took this job. <laughs> um, but. I will say that if we only focus on the business practice of this AI enablement and operational efficiencies, we have the ability to misuse AI to do bad things faster and at scale. (laughs) AI can be used to counter that. And so I hope we're smart enough to do that. But there is a danger of that, of only focusing on one. And so I'd like to see us in the industry balance the science and the practice and the business operations to make sure that we're looking at the right incentives across that continuum.
0: Yeah, bad things at scale. At
2: scale, <laughs> faster.
0: Right. That is not in your pitch deck, no, I assume. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's <the bad> side. <laughs> exactly. But but overall, it sounds like obviously totally you would not optimistic. be leading a company that's doing predictive analytics in healthcare if you weren't optimistic no, about the future. No, our
2: entire team is like, let's make sure that we're constantly focusing on this being used for the good, right? If you can price better, you can see what somebody's going to cost you, that could be used against them. Divert the ambulance to a competitor's hospital. You know, um, no code left behind. I mean, there's a lot of ways in which we could be dangerously close to that. And I think we have to really uh, be good governors of our uses of AI and our practice of, of medicine in there.
3: I'm definitely an optimist, both from the perspective of the patient, the physician, and the holders of financial risk. I, I think there's a, a tremendous amount of opportunity in AI for those three actors, which are the dominant actors in, in our healthcare care system. This is a target-rich environment. However you examine healthcare performance today, whether it's uh, preventive care, a third of it's not provided, it's recommended chronic care, a third of it's not provided— whether it's medical errors and uh, where that ranks in preventable deaths in the the United States, and the cost. There's a lot of opportunity for AI. If I have uh, one reservation, there is something that we are seeing already with monitoring and uh, I would say informing tools, the way we're talking about using AI as an aid. Um, And that is something called alert fatigue, right? It's a situation where we have live monitoring systems while care is being delivered. And what is happening today is there are so many alerts and the threshold is set at a level that there's a high error rate, right? If if you have monitoring systems that alert a doctor and 80% of the time it's a false alarm, what happens is the doctor stops listening to those alerts. And so there's going to be an art to this. When we think about using AI as an aid, we need to pay attention to the art. It needs to be right more than it's wrong. We can't you know, have the same level of false positive rates if we're going to gain the level of traction and value of AI in, in clinical practice. So that's a challenge, but I think we can overcome it. That
0: is Colt Courtright, who leads corporate data and analytics at Primera Blue Cross. We were also joined today on the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast by Dr. David Rue, who is Microsoft's chief medical officer and vice president of healthcare, and Linda Hand, CEO of Cardinal Analytics. Thanks to each of you for being here. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this season four premiere of GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app or tell a friend or a colleague about the show. You can see more episodes at geekwire.com healthtech and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. This episode was researched and produced with the help of GeekWire reporter James Thorne, who covers health technology and will be back as your regular host of the podcast this season. Thanks to our sponsor of Health Tech Season 4, Primera Blue Cross. You can find out more about their work at Primera.com slash innovation. To see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, business, and more, go to GeekWire.com and sign up for our podcast newsletter to hear all of our shows. I'm GeekWire editor Todd Bishop. Thanks for listening
2: to Health Tech.